This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, July 2nd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, teen killed in UTV accident. Attorney General Phil Weiser visits Telluride. Poet celebrates local immigrants and a mountain weather forecast. A 15-year-old boy died on Thursday after losing control of a UTV on Wilson Mesa. According to Susan Lilly, public information officer for the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, Dylan Collins was driving the UTV when he lost control. Went up an embankment, rolled and flipped on top of him, landed on top of him, causing severe injuries that, that he just couldn't survive. There were no other passengers or vehicles involved in the accident. Lily says no one witnessed the accident, but bystanders arrived soon. They called 911 and began CPR. We did have a, a handful of people um, assisting in rescue efforts before other responders arrived. San Miguel County Sheriff's deputies, Telluride Fire Protection District EMS, Placerville Fire, and Colorado State Patrol all responded to the incident. Lily says any loss is difficult, but this one hits particularly hard. We're used to dealing with difficult calls, but this is a whole other level. We're always thinking of the families when there is loss, especially when there's a child. And on behalf of everyone who was involved with this call, um, our hearts go out. Dylan and his mother were traveling from Hawaii, visiting local friends. He is survived by his brother, Noah, and his parents, Kevin and Christina. Early Friday morning, a Texas man died after falling or walking off a loft space in a hunting cabin near Egner. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Paul Park fell to the first floor below. Efforts to revive him were unsuccessful. He was 53 years old. Park is survived by his brothers, Rodney and Dudley, his parents, and his wife, Samantha. The cause and manner of death in both cases are under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser visited Telluride on Friday as part of a trip across the Western Slope, meeting with constituents. KOTO News spoke with Weiser about his office's priorities and the issues facing Coloradans in the years to come. You have described your job as the people's lawyer for the state of Colorado. Can you share a little bit about what do you mean by that? My true north is to serve the people of Colorado. We're at a time when people are feeling preyed upon in different ways, by companies who take advantage of them, by concerns about their air quality or their civil rights. I'm here to defend and protect people. The legal system is not known for being particularly fast-moving. So when you're doing that, when you're working with people, how do you, how do you see how your job works in helping people who need support now, not in three years when a case goes through? Part of the challenge in my job is I have to be able to explain to people what our laws can do, what my office can do, and what it can't do. And this is important that people understand how their government works. Part of what we can do is help people understand what their rights are so they can help themselves. Let me give you an example. We had this issue come up with DirecTV. A lot of people were watching Altitude. They were paying extra for it. It's a sports channel. And then they stopped putting Altitude on the air. But they kept charging people for the service they weren't getting. Now, if you were really sophisticated and you knew that was wrong, you called the DirecTV and you got your money back. But most people, they might not know that. They might not have time to wait on hold. So our office started investigating 
it did take us 18 months to get people their money back. So part of what I have to say is if you can be your own advocate, know your rights, that's going to put you in the best debt. But then if you can let us know when your rights are violated, we will get on it and we'll keep working it to protect you. You've been in office for about two and a half years now in this position. What are some of the things that you are most proud that your office has been able to do over the past two and a half years? Let me give a few examples. I want to start off with the opioid epidemic. We are suing companies who have taken advantage of people, have done things that are wrong, reprehensible, and irresponsible. They are being held accountable. We led the case against McKinsey and Company, which helped turbocharge the distribution of opioids, even though they knew it was wrong. We're working hard to get a settlement with Purdue Pharma. We're in litigation with them and the Sackler family that owns it to make sure they're held accountable. And we have a fair settlement that can help support people. And more companies are also on the line. The challenge then is to take that money, and we're bringing that money in now, and to use it to support prevention, education, drug treatment, which we need more of, and recovery efforts. And we're going to work hard in this region to do that. That's one example. Another example, also in the category of holding irresponsible actors accountable is what happened with the Catholic Church and a nationwide scandal where priests were taking advantage of young people engaging in predatory acts. We said we need a full accountability. We need an accounting. And we did that. We had a special master. We had two reports come out that told the story of victims who had suffered in silence. And we got compensation for victims. And we worked hard to do some measure of justice for people who felt wronged. So we're here to protect people. And these are critical, important works that our office is doing. And I want to keep doing it. Is there anything that you feel you would want to tackle or you wish that your office had been able to tackle since you've been in office that hasn't been able to to come through? Let me give two examples that are on our to-do list that are going to take a while. And your point about things taking a while. It's a really important point, and I would ask people for patience. Hold me accountable to do what I say I'm going to do, and let me explain why some things take time. One of them is related to water. We in Colorado depend on water, obviously for our lives, but also for our outdoor rec economy, for agriculture. It's part of what makes us who we are. With climate change, we have less natural snowpack, which means we have less water that is as accessible. We have to do more to invest in water infrastructure, to be more creative how we use water, and then to have agreements with our surrounding states so that we aren't in violation of the Colorado River Compact, to take a local example. That's a lot of work to do that we are in progress doing and, frankly, in the early innings of doing. So as I look ahead, if I'm able to have a second term, we're going to spend a lot of time on water to protect Colorado's water and protect our way of life. Another example is policing. I was just at the funeral this week for the Nevada police officer who was an extraordinary servant who cared about people. How do we help recruit and train police officers who lead with that empathy is part of the work we're doing to reimagine our training curriculum at the police academies. And we're also using more tools for accountability. We now can engage in civil rights investigations where departments or whole cities have violated civil rights of citizens. And we're doing that investigation now in Aurora using that new authority. So there's a lot of work to do, both in how we manage our water, how we elevate policing, and it's gonna take a little while. So I appreciate people's patience. You probably just touched on this a little bit. I'm assuming that those two examples might be um, some of your answer. But what do you see kind of overall the the biggest issues or problems that you see facing Coloradans? Those are two big ones. Let me stick with water and talk about climate change more broadly. We are seeing climate change in Colorado with worries about droughts, with worries about wildfires, 
we have to think about how we address and protect our land, air, and water. We're working hard on a number of tools to do that. We've been a leader in Colorado on methane rules. We now have a partner in the federal government to work on these issues. But protecting our land, air, and water, it's essential to our way of life. So I would add sort of a broader lens on that one. I also want to talk a little bit, because it's, uh, it's an important point, about the world we're living in where an economy is being controlled by more and more powerful interests. A lot of people are worried that some companies have become too big and powerful, and two obvious examples are Google and Facebook in terms of their abuse of their position and violation of the antitrust laws. We are now in litigation with both companies. This is a major important point because Colorado, we're innovators here. We need upstarts who can found companies have a chance to succeed. And a worry I have is if you end up with these dominant firms that squelch innovation and entrepreneurship, that's bad for Colorado. And that's something that's also on my mind. And then I also wanted to share our democracy and our culture. We're living in a time where there's a lot of divisiveness. It's undermining faith in the rule of law. Part of what we have to do is be in this work together to build faith in our institutions and to make sure that people have trust, that our legal systems are operating fairly, and I'm going to keep working hard to do that as well. You are driving around the Western Slope, and so I have to ask Telluride, we love our music. We have a music festival kicking off this evening, in fact. So as you've been driving across the Western Slope, has there been any specific songs or music that you've just been really jamming out to in the car? So I have kids, and I got yelled at for changing the channel when Watermelon Sugar was on. So uh, we've learned our lesson. I mean, I am now honestly getting my music tips from my kids. Um, and so that's a, a fun stage of life to be in. And uh, my daughter's Spotify list is different than mine, but I'm enjoying learning. I, I go back to sort of some standard ones for me. So I grew up with bands like U2 an REM, and so I still appreciate the oldies and goodies, but I'm also enjoying uh, new music for my kids. Well, Attorney General Weiser, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with me. Such a pleasure. Thanks for the time. Throughout June, KOTO partnered with Tri-County Health Network to share the stories of members of our community who are immigrants for Immigrant Heritage Month. At the same time, someone else was working on a way to share those stories as well. Michelle Otero is a writer and former Albuquerque Poet Laureate. As part of the local Immigrant Heritage Month celebration, Otero wrote a poem incorporating stories from our local immigrant community. The poem, she says, is written in the style of Martin Espada, whose poem Alabanza honored the members of the Hotel and Restaurant International Workers Union who died in the terrorist attacks while working at Windows on the World in the World Trade Center on September 11th. The name of Otero's poem is Oda de los Manos. Here is Otero reading it. Alabanza las manos del cirujano, cosiendo puntos tan delicados como el bordado de huipil, huipil solado, huipil de flor, mariposa y quetzal. Gracias al hilo de color rojo, color de sangre, que enlaza las manos de hermanos a través de mil montañas, de ríos y rieles, de muros, mapas y fronteras. Alabanza las manos del hermano mayor, quienes con su obra en las montañas San Juan les forjaron las manos del cirujano. Con su obra han tallado psicóloga, empresaria, panadera, han realizado los sueños de un pueblo y de un papá. Alabanza la pluma valiente del periodista, marcando el papel de prensa con gotas de verdad. Gracias a las puertas que abrieron, cuando esas gotas les mojaron la guerrilla colombiana, Alabanza el asilo, el refugio, el santuario de vivir en paz. Gracias al hueco donde lleva el congregante su pueblo. 
alabanza al refugio que es amor, el milagro, las fuerzas que combinaron para que hija de periodista conociera a un chavo de Ridgeway. Gracias a la hija, la intérprete, lengua que atraviesa fronteras. Alabanza a la madre soltera de 36 años, su visa de trabajo que le llevó de Durango a Maryland una y otra vez. Gracias a su hija, quien seguía el mismo sendero de su mamá, y llegó a estas tierras con maletas de sueños y dos palabras de inglés. Hello. Check. Hello. Check. Hello. Check. Check. Hello. Celebro los pies que avanzaron poco a poco, la empresaria que brindó lucecitas en su camino. Alabanza los sueños realizados, los sueños que no son de sufrir, las maletas ahora llenas de dos idiomas. Alabanza los pueblos lindos en otros lados, el esfuerzo que nos hace partir el corazón para cruzar. Gracias a las ganas de seguir, a pasar de las manos en la espalda, la marca en las muñecas, de lo tanto que les apretó el oficial. Alabanza la armadura que no deja pasar las barbas de los que no nos pueden ver. La fortaleza de decirles que no. Gracias al espejo que me recuerda quién soy yo. Alabanza el sueño no entendido por ser en inglés. Gracias a la chica que sueña lejos de su mamá y a la familia que le cuida en su ausencia. Gracias a los sueños bien entendidos, los que les pasamos a nuestros hijos, semillas sembradas en tierras nuevas, atendidas por manos que limpian hoteles, que limpian casas, que cuidan niños, que trabajan como cajera, que trabajan de todo, donde quiera, cuando quiera, sobre todo manos de seres sensibles, seres creativos, seres enteros, seres humanos. That was Michelle Otero reading her poem, Oda a los Manos, based on the stories of members of the Telluride immigrant community. The Society Turn Development Project is moving forward. The nearly 20-acre plot of land for development is owned by Genesee Properties and sits just west of the Society Turn Roundabout on the south side of Highway 145. Here's Chris Touchette, project planner for the development. The project is located pretty much midway between the two towns. So it's a, um, because of the, the uh, precedence of uh, Lawson Hill being there and those uses, it seems like this is um, looked to be a complementary project. Pro- project to Lawson. And really the way we're thinking about this is creating a local serving mixed use neighborhood that works in concert with um, the uses at Lawson. The sketch plan proposes a mix of open space, land dedicated for an expansion of the wastewater treatment plant, 2.6 acres going to a new medical center, and land for commercial development. Earlier this week, the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners met for a site walk of the development as part of the sketch plan phase. This is the second step of the five-step process. Um, the Board of County Commissioners' review of our sketch plan. That's Tom Kennedy, the attorney working with Genesee on the development. And the Planning Commission completed the first step um, back in March. Um, after this, then it would move to the preliminary plan stage where both the Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners would do the same thing. The Planning Commission, the recommendation of the board, then the board would um, take an action. And then the fifth step, the final, is largely... 
um, implementing the, the, the approvals through looking at the plats, the development agreements, the other documents that are necessary. While the development is moving through the necessary stages of planning, full development on the site is still a way off. The wastewater treatment plant and the new medical center will take priority. Developers say general construction on the land is likely 7 to 10 years away. The San Miguel Board of County Commissioners will hold a public meeting on Wednesday, July 21st at 9.30 a.m. to discuss the sketch plan for the Society Turn lot. The 4th of July will be without fireworks this year, but that doesn't mean all celebration will be gone. The Town of Mountain Village and the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association are joining forces for a weekend of red, white, and blue fun. Over the 4th of July weekend, Mountain Village will be the home to music, dance parties, root beer floats, cotton candy, and a circus. Musical acts will include Emerita, Boo Radley's Blues Experience, Trico, and DJ Harry. The Salida Circus will be in town as well, with water balloon tosses, hula hooping, and chalk art. On July 3rd, there will be a free outdoor showing of the Sandlot. The town of Telluride canceled its 4th of July festivities for this year, including fireworks, the parade, and the barbecue. Mountain Village's 4th of July celebration will take place in the village on July 3rd, 4th, and 5th. For a full list of activities and times, go to bit.ly slash mvredwhiteblues2021. Construction is coming to Mountain Village next week. The town is embarking on a number of construction projects, including installing a Tesla supercharging station. The station will be located on level 5 of the Gondola Parking Garage. There may be brief traffic stops entering and exiting the parking garage from July 6th through 9th. Mountain Village says the charging station will be up and running by early fall. The town will also be conducting road paving on several residential streets. Chip and seal paving operations will take place on Palmyra Drive, Snowdrift Lane, Polecat Lane, Highlands Way, Touchdown Drive, and Prospect Creek Drive. Construction will take place Tuesday, July 6th to Friday, July 9th, with work taking place 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. There will be asphalt paving on Benchmark Drive from Snowdrift Lane to Rocky Road, the Rocky Road Access Tract, Lost Creek Lane, the east end of Adams Ranch Road, and the beginning of Lawson Overlook. Construction will take place Monday, July 12th through Friday, July 16th with work taking place from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. For both paving projects, sections of the road will be closed during the operations and could cause up to three-hour delays. The recent discoveries of mass graves containing the remains of hundreds of Indigenous children in Canada has disturbed both our northern neighbour and the United States. Last week, Interior Secretary Deb Holland also announced the launch of a new effort to investigate the loss of human life and lasting impact of former federal Indian boarding schools, which aim to strip Indigenous children of their native languages and culture. Kyle Mackey from KHOL Jackson discussed the generational trauma inflicted by the schools with Superintendent Frank No Runner of St. Stephen's Indian School a former boarding school located on Wyoming's Wind River Indian Reservation. Superintendent Frank Norunner, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a bit about the St. Stephen's Indian School on the Wind River Reservation? <clears throat> well, St. Stephen's Indian School is a BIE tribally controlled grant school, and it works with both the Northern Arapaho Tribe and the Eastern Shoshone Tribe. 
rotating every other year. And we have currently serve about anywhere from 250 to 260 kids, all tribally enrolled kids. It's about 99% Native American. Um, and it was a boarding school. And um, so they finally became a high, I think they got their high school in uh, the 50s or 60s, I believe. And um, in 1975, the mission finally gave the, the school back to the tribe. Obviously, this is something that is hugely important and um, a lasting legacy among you know indigenous communities, this legacy of boarding schools. But for many of our non-indigenous listeners who might not be so familiar, can you tell us a bit about that and what the purpose well, you know, and the, the function of these schools was? <laughs> I'll just tell you a personal experience first. I'll start off with that. I was raised by my late grandmother and also my late great uncle. As a little kid on Saturday mornings, we would um, wake up, you know, to the smell of breakfast and you'd wake up to hear them speaking our Blackfeet language. And, you know, sometimes as a kid, you lay there, you're half asleep and you can still hear them talking their native language. You don't understand it, but you know, it's, it's a part of who we are. Uh, but once those kids would get up, uh, they would stop and they would just start talking English. And so when I got older, I finally asked my grandmother, I'm like, how come you guys never teach us your language? And that old man that lived with us and also my grandpa, they instructed their kids not to teach them our Blackfeet language and culture because of what happened in the boarding schools to them with their experiences. So they didn't want what they the trauma that they, they experienced in that boarding school i mean basically trained them i would like to say or put fear in them that they would not want us to learn that because we were still going to schools in the 80s and i think at that time uh some of the teachers i mean the principal still had a paddle in some in some of those schools and um so they just didn't want us to do that so they never they never taught us that and so I grew up not knowing my language and not knowing a lot of my culture. And um, as a 40-year-old man, I'm finally taking interest in, interest in it. And I'm trying to learn much Indigenous methodologies as I can about not only my culture, but also the Native culture in general. Okay, so, you know, sadly, we're speaking today because over the last several weeks, there have been these horrendous discoveries of huge unmarked mass graves of Indian children on the site of former residential schools in two different Canadian province, provinces. And then there's also been this commitment by Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. I wonder as, you know, as a Native educator and superintendent, what it's been like seeing this news and, you know, how you're moving forward, um, you know, with this, with this new commitment from the U.S. government, at least. Well, you know, being a doctoral student, there's a big debate going on in the United States right now about critical race theory. And uh, one of the critical race theories that I'm currently uh, looking at studying in my dissertation is tribal critical race theory. And that's what looks at these injustices that happen in the past to the minority people. Um, I don't think it can be forgotten. I think it should be taught. You know, I, I've heard professors and also other Native American leaders basically say that uh, we should, that historical trauma happened and we as Native people should try to move past it, move forward. 
But I think before we can do that, I think that healing needs to take place. And just the understanding of our history of what happened to our indigenous peoples, because like the boarding school trauma really affected my life. And I really wish that I could uh, be a fluent Blackfeet speaker today. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Superintendent Frank No Runner, we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Uh, I I was happy to be here. The National Weather Service forecast for the Western San Juans calls for a chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Saturday should be mostly sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high is near 80 degrees with a low around 50. Sunday should be mostly sunny with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high around 80 degrees. Sunday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low around 50. This has been the news for Friday, July 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Monday, July 5th in observance of the 4th of July holiday. We will be back on Tuesday with our regularly scheduled news programming. 